Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am Jeff Burkhart, joined by my man, Justin Nutter, getting set to preview arguably one of the biggest K-State home games here over the last five to ten years. It has been quite a while since we have had a ranked-on-ranked matchup with as big of stakes as what we'll see this Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, but that is just what we have on tap for you. Kansas State and Oklahoma State homecoming for the Wildcats who haven't played a game in Manhattan, what seems like forever now, Nutter. It's been crazy that this first half of the the conference slate you're in fortunate if you're TCU you're in a fortunate position where you get three out of your first four games in your own backyard on the flip side for Kansas State you got to take three out of your first four on the road unfortunately but fortunately though for the Wildcats coming out of it at three and one again this is kind of the the refrain that I'm going to echo here I think we all if you were to tell any K-State fan that going into the season you'd probably be pretty pleased with K-State's positioning going into this game. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned it feels like it's been forever since since we've got to strap it on and actually play, you know, strap the helmets on and play in Manhattan. Um, that Texas Tech game is almost an afterthought when you consider, you know, it was kind of kind of sandwiched between two pretty massive road games. And then, you know, you got a bye week in there and then obviously coming off of a pretty tough loss at TCU. So, yeah, when you I mean, it's almost easy to forget because when it all shook out, you know, that Texas Tech game is probably the most uneventful conference game K-State's had so far. So like you said, it almost feels like we haven't played at home since uh, since that Tulane game. So, yeah, we'll definitely, you know, be be good to get back in front of the home crowd, you know, maybe a little little friendlier environment. Obviously got a, a pretty solid kickoff time with that 230 slot on, as you like to say, Fox proper. Um, you know, definitely uh, definitely looking forward to uh, to, to, you know, Making another, you know, making the opponent deal with the with with the electric electric atmosphere, and you know, maybe being able to to rattle the other team for a change. You'll certainly take any advantage you can get in in, in this league, just with how balanced it is. Again, not to belabor a point that's been hammered home by any and every Big Twelve podcast, radio host, beat writer, in between. There's so much parity there, but again, I, I cannot recall in my lifetime seeing this league as balanced as it is this year. And again, you're, you're grateful if you're a K-State fan that you get these next two against teams that are still very much in the hunt for a title game appearance and you're, you get them in your own backyard. So you got to take advantage of these opportunities. Uh, before we do dive into this preview for the K-State-Oklahoma State matchup, Nutter, I know you didn't have a chance to, to chime in on the result that unfolded in Fort Worth this past Saturday. Of course, K-State coming up on the short end against TCU 38-28, to but uh, the final score doesn't necessarily t- tell the entire story, and that one is the Wildcats, as we all know, built the – Massive early lead, 28 to 10, and then really just a matter of a couple of pivotal injuries and just really kind of the way that, you know, just something as simple as the coin toss that, you know, taking the ball instead of deferring little things here and there, obviously come back to bite the cats in this one. But what were your takeaways from that game? Just any thoughts, anything you want to get out there? Because I I know you, like many K-State fans, probably had some (laughs) a lot going through your head after that game. Yeah, you know, if you had told me the score and that's all I knew about the game, that would have honestly sounded not too far-fetched to me. But then to know how the game itself played out is 
you know, pretty devastating. I mean, they, the TCU forces a punt on that first drive. K-State loses Adrian Martinez for the, you know, for the night. Um, they uh, hit the home run, you know, to go take an early 7-0 lead. And it was kind of like, oh, crap, this might get ugly if, you know, if we're, if we're not ready to go at quarterback. But then Will Howard comes out and, I mean, for my money, and I would assume anyone else's money, puts together his most impressive performance, you know, in, in his uh, in his K-State career. You really can't say enough good about what he did out there. Um, you know, d- disappointing to get up 28-10. And I remember, you know, we were we were texting a little bit back and forth during the game. And I remember thinking, you know, TCU gets the ball back with uh, something like three and a half, four minutes left in the half. And I remember thinking, if we can get to, you know, get to halftime with an 18-point lead, I'm going to feel all right. But knowing that they got the ball after half, you know, for them to punch that in with about 20 seconds left and then essentially to get the back-to-back possessions and punch another one in to cut it to four, you know, that that lead dissipated pretty damn quick. Uh, K-State goes down, misses a field goal, TCU takes the lead, and it's kind of off to the races from there. So, you know, obviously a, a tough pill to swallow and that you feel like it was there for the taking when you're up 18 points. But uh like, you know, like you said, too many key injuries. I think, you know, having Daniel Green out definitely hurt the defense maybe more than we uh, than we thought it was going to. And then uh, having to kind of thrust Jake Rubley into action and, you know, him throwing a pick at a pretty inopportune time. You know, there were definitely, definitely some things, you know, that injuries, you can only do so much about it, right? You know, you, you got to imagine, you know, there aren't many, aren't many programs that are really going to have a ton of success on offense when you're down to your third option at quarterback. But uh, yeah, disappointing that, you know, we, we were able to jump out to the big lead like we did and couldn't hold it, but, you know, not a lot of time to dwell on it. Right. Because you got an, th- this one coming up this week is every bit as big. So definitely time to put it in the rear view. And by all accounts, it sounds as though the staff and, and players and everybody in between has, has very much moved on. And, and then listening to Chris Kleiman's presser earlier in the week, he uh, sounded Optimistic, uh, there were, as we touched on here, there, there were a number of injuries the Wildcats sustained during the course of the game, and I think some that likely predated the, that contest. Uh, the Adrian Martinez situation, as we all know, I, I don't really think that was him necessarily getting quote-unquote knocked out in the game. I've, I've listened to a lot of national podcasts keep referring to, Adrian got knocked out. Adrian, like I think that was a guy realizing I can't, with with what I'm physically capable of doing, it's not going to be the team's best opportunity to win. And I think he and the trainers set, came to an accord and said, "Listen, we we have to do what's what's going to put our guys in the best spot to win." And I and I've I made my stance pretty clear. Will Howard, the way he performed, he looked like a guy who took reps with the ones that week in practice, and we saw a great outing out of him. Uh, second most passing yards in a game. Only a better outing for him was his 2020 outing against the University of Kansas, that trash fired team that ended up getting less miles fired. Uh, there's some, some other reasons that less got fired, but neither here nor there, but, but yeah, just again, the situational misfortunes of, of losing Will Howard on a drive that you looked like you were feeling pretty confident you were going to get points out of. And I think the, the fourth and two, as Kleiman said, they would have gone for it if he was healthy. Jake Rubley has to go in for that. You're probably not feeling the most comfortable or confident about him getting a two-point convert, or not a two-point, but getting the two yards necessary to extend that drive. And then after that, what do you do? Even if you do get that, you still have another 30 yards of field to negotiate if you're trying to get into the end zone. Does Jake Rubley even finish that drive off? It's just, again, so many unfortunately timed injuries and, and the Brents 
coming up lame on that home run pass to Quentin Johnston that got TCU the lead for good. Like I said, just a lot of, as they say in, in life, everything is about timing and, and TCU took advantage of that. I will say this about the Horn Frogs though. They have a horseshoe so far up their ass. They have been so unbelievably lucky, whether it has been guys getting hurt, whether it has been them knocking out the opposing uh, quarters, uh, opposing team starting quarterback. They've, they've literally just been touched this entire season and some people are thinking that this is going to be the week it comes around but I, I don't want to lay, dwell too much on on what's going to happen between TCU and West Virginia and Morgantown we're here to obviously talk about your Kansas State Wildcats so with that being said let's go ahead and jump into this matchup on tap this coming Saturday Kansas State and Oklahoma State getting set to hook up for the 69th time in the series nice pokes have won nine out of the last 13 though which is crazy to think about it feels like it for a while there it was kind of a back and forth proposition where we knew when they would come to manhattan we would get them and then we'd go to stillwater and inevitably get a two score lead and get kicked in the nuts and 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 now though mike gundy though has had some some success in recent memory and and particularly against chris Kleiman. he's three and oh against k-state's head coach and it's hard to believe Gundy, we were talking about it before we just started recording this, but going in, uh, he's now in his 18th season as head coach of Oklahoma State, 155 and 70 overall. Pokes have won 20 of it, their last 23 games. Only Bama, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, and Cincinnati can claim that same winning percentage over that span of games. You're in pretty damn good company there. And couple of K-State connections to mention as well, as far as the coaching ranks go, uh, former defensive end and uh, K-State assistant Joe Bob Clemens. He has been in Stillwater for 10 years now. He's serving as the linebackers coach. And then Charlie Dickey, of course, was uh, offensive line coach uh, for a good deal of the Bill Snyder 2.0 era. And he is now currently in his fourth year as the offensive line coach for Oklahoma State. So plenty of familiarity here. This is a, a huge game. And we talked about, obviously, the K-State injury side of things. Now, Oklahoma State is dealing with some guys who have been slowed up as well. Uh, Jaden Bray, Thomas Harper, Brendan Evers, Braden Johnson, Preston Wilson, Brock Martin, all guys that were dinged up and missed the Texas game. Some other guys that are, are questionable as well. So there's there's a lot going into this matchup. If you're looking at it from a betting perspective as well, K-State, strangely enough, the one and a half, one point favorite, depending on when and where you're looking. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy to think about that, but I think that's Vegas probably hedging as we all are, are expecting Will Howard to be available for Kansas State. We'll get into the the preview here, or we'll get a little bit deeper into the offense and defense matchups here. Uh, but Nutter, at a high level here, this Oklahoma State team, your, your thoughts on them at, at current standing in the Big 12, and, and just what about the job Mike Gundy's done? Just dude always seems to win. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, they're a, they're a fourth quarter collapse away from, from, from coming into this one unbeaten and, you know, really with a stranglehold on the big 12, you know, they, uh, uh, talking about obviously the, the loss in Fort Worth, but, uh, you know, past that, they pretty well went out and took care of business against Texas over the weekend. And I think that's not necessarily one I would have considered an upset myself, but one they probably felt like they had to win, you know, coming off that loss to TCU. Um, you know, I think they've kind of really, for the most part, just taken care of business this year. You know, they've, 
in my mind, kind of lived up to the hype. They're scoring a lot of points, putting up a lot of yards, which is something we've grown pretty accustomed to seeing out of an Oklahoma State team. So, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty solid team, in my opinion, probably the class of the Big 12 this year. I know the standings might not reflect that to this point, but uh, I would feel pretty decent if I were them. If they end up getting another crack at TCU in Arlington, I think I would feel pretty decent if I were in their shoes. So, yeah, this is this is going to be a pretty tough test for K-State. Obviously, you know, we're hitting that time of year where the injury, injury bug, as you just kind of alluded to, is really kind of starting to bite everybody. But, uh, yeah, no, this is one K-State's going to have to be up for because this, especially on defense, because this offense is is definitely no joke. You mentioned that it's no joke, and, and this is very much getting back to the Mike Gundy teams of old last season, not to discredit Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator and the group that he had, but they, by, by a lot of the advanced metrics were a top five defense nationally. If you look at success rates, points per drive points, like if you look at a lot of the numbers, they were just remarkable. And now they're, they've kind of regressed this season. And this is very much what this is very early 2010s, big 12 type of Oklahoma state one that's going to put up a lot of points, but one that's also given up a lot of yards and whatnot, but we'll start off with the pokes offense and how it stacks up against the Kansas state defense and Nutter. I'll go ahead and kick it over to you. Let's hit some of these key numbers here. Yeah. Uh, second week in a row, uh, we will be facing a team that doesn't possess the ball for a lot of game time, but they are pretty damn efficient when they do have the ball. Um, you're talking about a top three team nationally with just under 45 points a game, and they put up 467 yards a game as well. That's good for 24th in the country. Uh, they do a lot of their a lot of their damage through the air, which you would expect with a veteran guy in Spencer Sanders. Um, they are uh, 14th in the country, uh, 313 passing yards per game. Um, their running game's not quite as effective, but frankly, when they sling it like they do, it doesn't really have to be. So, um, you know, obviously, I know K-State's dinged up in a few key spots, you know, especially, you know, looking at linebacker and in the secondary. So, you know, it's it's going to be important, you know, especially for these guys that might not be getting, that are probably getting a few more, you know, reps with the ones than they normally do. You know, they're not a lot of time to step up to the, step up to the plate here. They're going to have to get this figured out pretty quick because these guys, uh, they move the ball fast and they, they, they punch it in pretty often. Yeah. Their red zone offense as well. Uh, just under 95%. They're ninth nationally. They converted 34 out of 36 of their red zone attempts. 25 of those 34 conversions are touchdowns. Again, this is, this is just really a quintessential Mike Gundy team led by a, a veteran quarterback. Spencer Sanders seems like he has just been there forever and a day and, and, and really when you look at some of the advanced numbers as well, uh, the splits, you, you would think by what they do passing the ball, you would think that they would be a airing it out a lot more, but they're reasonably balanced as far as that goes. Uh, 46% of their snaps have been rushes to 54% passes. Points per drive, they're getting 2.78. That's 34th in the country. Uh, however, once they get on, uh, once they get in that money zone inside the 40, they cash it in just under five points per drive, 4.98. That's sixth nationally. And uh, success rate, though, the, this isn't necessarily the most efficient. They're 54th at success rate, 50, or excuse me, 44.5%. And uh, running the ball is one of the deficiencies. And I think that's one area. If you're, if you're Kansas State, I don't know how you're necessarily feeling about this element of it, Nutter, but I, 
looking at some of the the players to watch and just what their offense has been, they don't run the ball particularly well, and their running backs as well aren't particularly explosive. With K-State knowing, one, uh, Khalid Duke is going to miss the first half. We know that much, but he is uh, medically all good to go. And, and candidly, I thought he played a pretty damn good game against TCU last Saturday. He's going to be good to go, but you're going to have to wait until the third quarter to get him back. And then you're likely going to be looking at Nick Allen in the middle. We've heard Daniel Green for Kansas State is going to be a game time decision as of recording. Uh, I don't know how much stock you put into that. To, to me, I, I, I'm going into this one assuming that Daniel Green is going to be on the shelf. Safe to say? Yeah, like I likewise. Okay. And, and as far as what you're where you feel like K-State might have an advantage. Do you feel good if K-State makes this Oklahoma State team one-dimensional? That's kind of a loaded question, but I, I'm, I think that's what it's going to boil down to. I mean, you know, ultimately there's a ton of uncertainty for K-State on both sides of the ball, but yes, I mean, I'm going to feel considerably better if, if, if you're going to make Spencer Sanders beat you with his arm because, you know, for as many yards as he throws for, he's not necessarily the most accurate guy. He's, he's completing less than 60% of his passes this year. So, you know, it's it's definitely going to put you in the best position for success if you can take the running game out of the equation. And I know something, Jeff, it might have even been you that, that mentioned it on Twitter earlier this week. You know, one thing you can't take out of the equation for them or you can't discount is uh, they like to use the running backs out of the backfield. And that's an area where they've really hurt K-State in some of these previous meetings. And, you know, I, I like to equate, you know, we talk about the Iowa State series and how K-State always seems to like, you know, pull victory from the jaws of defeat. And it almost feels like it's the polar opposite with this series, you know, and that's uh, you know, you just, th those are the things that'll kill you. You know, I hate to keep thinking about it because frankly it was an infuriating play to watch, but that, that middle screen to the running back on third and 17 uh, against TCU on the drive that I can't remember if that's the drive where they cut it to four, if that's the drive where they took the lead, but uh, you know, it's just, that's, it's an area where K-State has struggled in the past and it's something Oklahoma state has done. So yeah. I mean, I would say if you can take the running backs as a whole, you know, catching the ball and running the ball, if you can take that out of the equation, yes, I think you're setting yourself up for for a pretty decent shot at a win. And running backs, uh, Dominic Richardson, the six foot, two hundred ten pound junior, is the leader with four hundred fifty one yards, but only averaging three point seven per carry. And uh, Jaden Nixon is another one smaller back at 5'10", 185, who's going to be getting some carries as well. He's just a redshirt freshman, though. So, um, And there are some questions and some guys who are dinged up there, so you might see some different personnel uh, and as far as that goes. And really, what looking at Spencer Sanders this year, you, you touched on it. He's He's not been the most accurate, at least looking at completion rate, but turning the ball over that's always been the big knock on him and he's only thrown four interceptions this season and I uh, I don't have the exact number ahead of me but I want to say when I was looking at the Oklahoma State game notes his or his interception rate is one percent over his last 330 attempts so he's really done a good job of shoring that up and and frankly, if, if I'm looking at this game from the Kansas State perspective, it seems like forever since the Wildcats have, have gotten any kind of turnover. And again, they've all their turnovers have come in the one, or at least in conference play, they've come in the one game against Texas Tech. They didn't turn over Oklahoma or Iowa State or TCU, and all those were road games. Again, draw whatever commonalities there that you want. That's just a pretty easy one, a pretty low-hanging fruit, obviously. But if I'm Kansas State, you can't necessarily go into this banking on Spencer Sanders to just 
throw you a couple of ducks. You, you would certainly take it if he was willing to do so, but but yeah, he's been much better at taking care of the football this year. He is currently tops in the Big 12 in total offense per game at 340.3 yards and tied with Max Duggan for total touchdowns accounted for with 23. So w- with all the weird narratives that have surrounded Spencer Sanders over the course of his career being a, a, a mediocre or, or a jag, if you will, a quarterback, dude's balling out in his uh, senior season. So this is going to be a tall order in that sense. And in the battle of quarterbacks, obviously Spencer Sanders is certainly going to have a leg up, not just in terms of experience, but obviously in terms of production as well. A uh, couple of guys that he'll be throwing to, I will mention here, uh, Bryson Green, Brennan uh, is the 6'1", 205 pound sophomore, 21 grabs, 417 and five touchdowns, just under 20 yards a catch. Their slot guy, Brennan Presley, or I can't, I apologize, I don't know if it's Presley or Priestley, but he uh, has 36 grabs this year, 413, a couple of touchdowns. And then John Paul Richardson, 29 catches, 314 and three scores for him. Braden Johnson, another taller guy, 20 grabs for him and 398 yards. They have five guys with greater than or with more than 20 catches this year. So again, you've got a heady quarterback who knows how to spread it around. This is a potent, prolific passing attack. They know how to distribute the ball and and they're not necessarily a big game passing attack, only 7.75 yards per attempt for Sanders. But like I said, they they're really good in the intermediate game and they have guys that can break those and turn those 15 to 20 yarders all of a sudden into 60 and 70 yarders. So, Hey, hey Jeff, let me ask you this, you know, typically it seems like there's always like that one marquee receiver in an Oklahoma state offense, those numbers you just rattled off, that's about as spread out as it can get. Right. I mean, you have four guys hovering right around three to 400 yards and the touchdowns are just as evenly split up. You know, you you don't have like a, a James Washington or, you know, even further back, like a Justin Blackman, you don't have that, like that home run hitter. I mean, does that make them more dangerous knowing that it can really go to any of those guys? It's kind of like the Patrick Mahomes proposition, isn't it? We all wondered what's he going to be like without Tyree kill and, Pat's done okay for himself this year, I'd say. And that's that's one of those things. You can't necessarily key in on it. And last year it was, and granted he was just a rental, but Tay Martin was the big guy who came up against Kansas State and had well over 100 yards, just torched the Wildcats in that game in Stillwater. Uh, and I don't really think there is one guy that you can necessarily key in on on this Oklahoma State passing attack, which, again, looking at last week, I felt like K-State did a good job bottling up the go-to guy in Quentin John. And he only ended up with 74 yards on four grabs. And one of those was that big home run pass where Brents came up lame with the hammy. So I, I thought K-State did a great job of doing uh, of get, keeping him bottled up. And again, I think that speaks to the, the quality of player in the secondary for K-State just across the board is is really remarkable. And I, I feel, I feel good about putting up this back end against anyone. I, I'd say uh, now I'll put it to you. Do you feel like this is a tougher test than TCU's offense? I mean, maybe just in kind of what I said and the fact that you don't necessarily know where they're going to be going, you know, like you think about some of those, those more, uh, you think about Hutchinson, you know, with Iowa State, we knew that's where they were going to go with the game on the line, or, you know, you think about Quentin Johnston, but they just, they don't have that guy. So yeah, I think that probably ultimately does make them a little more dangerous. And just a couple of other notes here, as far as the offensive line goes, uh, a lot of younger guys, I won't say younger guys, but guys kind of first time program guys that are getting in really the first time starting at their position. Uh, Caleb Etienne uh, started all seven games at left tackle this year. 
Taylor, uh, let me get this right here. Maturko only has eight starts in his career at left guard. And then at center, we might see backup uh, Joe uh, Mahalski at center. And he started last week. He only has five starts in his career. Hunter Woodard is the veteran guy with 29 starts at right guard. And then Jake Springfield, former walk-on, has 29 starts at right tackle. Now, one, one question I'll ask here as far as uh, the pass rush goes, what do you feel about what you've gotten out of that group from K-State here as of late? Because it just seems like even last week, they weren't doing a lot to disrupt the timing of that TCU passing attack. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I wouldn't have thought it till I looked back at the stats today, actually K-State had four sacks from four different guys, but it sure as hell didn't feel like it. You know, I mean, it's, and you're going to be facing a pretty similar quarterback this week and that, you know, he's not afraid to tuck it and run it if he needs to. So, I mean, it's, you know, (laughs) this is a game where I think, you know, like, losing a guy like Duke for the first half is kind of amplified just because of the, you know, the, the quality of opponent and the quality of the quarterback you're facing, you know, I think, yes, there are going to be opportunities there, but like you've got to make sure you get home and actually get them on the ground when you get that chance. All eyes going to be on the linebackers for K-State knowing again, you're going to be without Duke for the first half, Nick Allen likely going to be anchoring things in the middle for you. And granted again, Austin Moore, the machine as he's affectionately known has been everywhere, but they're really going to need to bow up. And and again, this is an Oklahoma state offense that really, it it doesn't run the ball particularly effectively, but it's one that will run it to obviously set you up with those intermediate throws over the middle and and Nick Allen, not necessarily known for his, for his coverage skills and and, in the same breath on the other side, without Khalid Duke, you're going to be looking at Desmond Purnell, you might have Crew Jackson in here. There's going to be a lot of guys. We saw Gavin Forche get in and make some plays for this K-State linebacking core last Saturday in Fort Worth. Uh, Again, that's what makes me most nervous about this matchup and knowing how Oklahoma State can stress you in throwing the ball. It's it's going to be tall for those guys. And I think the big key is just to kind of keep everything within arm's reach in that first half. And what's before we dive too deep into the keys here, let's let's look at this K-State offense going up against the defense of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. 4-2-5 base coordinated by Derek Mason, the former Vanderbilt head coach. And Nutter, like I said, this is a, let's say, generous Oklahoma State defense in terms of their stats they put up to date. Yeah, I mean, they like to play in shootouts, something K-State is not necessarily equipped to do. But, I mean, yeah, they, uh, they, they've they given up uh, a little more than 28 points a game. That is, believe it or not, 86th in the country. I don't know, when I hear 28, I, I would not think 86th in the country when I hear 28 a game. But uh, they've been known to give up some points. You know, they gave up, uh, they gave up 43 to TCU. Um, they gave up. Um, another 26 to Baylor. I want to say they gave up maybe 31 to Texas. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, so, I mean, they're, you know, they, they definitely give up points. They're just, frankly, their offense is just equipped to score more than they give up. Um, They, uh, and this is where, you know, this is where I think K-State might have a shot, you know, especially if Will Howard ends up being the guy at quarterback, they are one of the worst in the country against the pass 127th nationally with 303.6 yards per game. Um, They're, quite a bit better against the run, not to say they're great against the run. They are giving up 146. You know, we finally saw, saw Deuce get loose and, you know, get that big 12 touchdown that had kind of evaded him to this point. Um, 
you know, so I think there are going to be some opportunities there. You know, I think it's just a matter of, you know, if Howard was at his best when he came in and I don't know if it was, you know, element of surprise or like you said, maybe he'd been running with the ones this week. So he was just a little more confident, felt a little bit more prepared, but he really seemed to be at his best when he was actually, you know, like dropping back, you know, in the pocket and, you know, he was really spreading it out, you know, like he was, you know, a Malik Knowles knee down at the half yard line away from having three touchdowns to three different guys. So, you know, if that's something that you can take advantage of and you can kind of give him the keys to the offense and kind of avoid going into a shell, you know, not utilizing the quarterback run too often. Cause that's when K-State's offense really kind of started to stall is when they started to do that a little more. Um, you know, I think this offense, they give up enough yards and they give up enough points that there are going to be opportunities there. I totally agree with you. And I, I loved, again, I, the confidence we saw out of him throwing the ball, the precision as well. And you talk about the the knee being down and also think about it from this perspective. He's a little bit more of a touch away from having four touchdown passes. If he hits Cade Warner on that little post over the middle, it it was a career day for him. And honestly, it was the best performance we've seen out of him in his career, at least throwing the ball and taking into account just the overall flow of the game, the quality of the opponent, because as I touched on, he technically threw for more yards against Kansas in 2020, but can throw that out um, just with how poor that Jayhawks team was. But I, I look at this Oklahoma State team on the advanced stat side of things. They have one of the oddest splits here. Opponents only run the ball 42% of the time against them. So they're throwing it on about 58% of the snaps, which is uh, they have the, uh, not surprisingly, the lowest opponent rushing rate in the Big 12. And passing, again, this is what's kind of odd about their profile here. The passing defense you touched on, giving up over 300 yards per game, 127th nationally obviously one of the worst marks in the FBS, but the passing success rate is 36.7%, which is 29th in the country. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Now, granted, you can have, obviously, if you throw in completions, those are not successful passing plays. So that obviously plays into it, but still it's, it's a little peculiar here, just the way that their profile looks when you, you, you glance at it. But I do think that there are some opportunities here for Howard to take advantage of. And, and also when you look as well, the explosiveness allowed 113th nationally on the passing side of things, TCU was very bad at that metric as well. And we saw Will Howard connect for nine completions of greater than t- uh, 10 yards. Again, would have had 10 completions of greater than 10 if he hits Cade Warner uh, late in the fourth quarter. So I think it's there. It's there for him. And this is where my, my biggest question as far, as far as how the coaches approach this game is, do you grow from last week and, and do you take that performance and say, hey, let's try and replicate this effort. Let's not just do exactly what Derek Mason thinks we're going to do. And again, I also have nightmares. Derek Mason was the coach of Vanderbilt and he's obviously a defensive minded guy. He was the coach of Vanderbilt when K-State went in and ran Jesse Ertz 58 times or whatever the hell they did and lost that skunk of a game in Nashville, 14 to seven way back. You had to bring that shit up. (laughs) Well, it comes, it comes to mind because you don't want to fall into the trap of just leaning into the QB run game. And Will Howard didn't, necessarily look the best running it this past Saturday, which is weird because that's always been really the best aspect of his game. And what coaches have leaned on in the past is how 
decisive he was with the ball in his hands in that read option game. And he was pretty fleet of foot during that freshman season. And, and, and obviously he had the element of Deuce Vaughn, but he came out of critical junctures here and there. It just, again, it didn't really necessarily lend itself to, it was a situation I should say that didn't really lend itself to running the ball. And, and as far as this coming Saturday, looking at this Oklahoma state defensive line in particular, this is really where the pokes make their hay. Uh, Brock Martin is the guy to watch. Now, again, he was dinged up, so it's going to be a question about his status, but tied for the team lead in sacks with three. He was first team all Big 12 last season. Uh, the tackles, Collins Clay and Sione Asi are both 6'3 and 3'10 each. And then Tyler Lacey, number 89, he's 6'4, 285, has 42 starts, second in the Big 12 and tackles for loss per game, a little bit more than one. And then Colin Oliver has three sacks on the season, a backup at defensive end, but he was a 2021 defensive freshman of the year in the Big 12 and a freshman All-American after recording 11 and a half sacks. So this Pokes defensive line is really where they win the day on defense. They don't do a lot of things well, but they do get you off schedule. I will say that much. They force a lot of negative plays. Their havoc rate is around 18%. And then if you look at their third down conversion percentage, 25.5% allowed, that's fourth nationally. Again, that's one of the more remarkable stats. And honestly, I think this is very much, again, just what a quintessential Mike Gundy team looks like. It's not great on defense. They know they're going to get into a lot of shootouts. They know they're going to play high possession football, and they're really just leaning on those guys to just not break. And these these defensive linemen, they have a good rotation of bodies. They've got good size up the middle. It's going to be tough sledding for K-State to run between the tackles in this one. So you're going to have to rely, I think, a lot more on Will Howard in the passing game in this, and it's crazy as it sounds, Nutter, is this not a week where you look to potentially pass to set up the run with them? No, and honestly, like I said, I think, you know, the fact that Oklahoma has been so, as you said, generous or porous against the pass, you know, if, if he really, if Howard really did turn a corner, like I'm hopeful he did last weekend, um, this, again, it's all under the assumption that Howard is the starting quarterback, and I do think he is. Um you know, I, I think this is a, this is the game where you really give him the keys and say, let it rip. If you make the mistakes, you make the mistakes. But yes, I mean, I don't think you run the ball just for the sake of running it, you know, especially if you can, you know, set up still for my money, the most dynamic running back in the Big 12. You know, if you can if you can keep that defense honest and, you know, don't allow them to stack the box or, you know, bring those bring those safeties up and, you know, really give Deuce a chance to get, give Deuce a chance to get loose later in the game by, you know, by effectively passing it and spreading it around like Howard was doing. Yes. I think that needs to be the game plan coming in. So let's throw a number out here. Uh, so Howard attempted 20 passes last Saturday. Uh, granted that was with him missing a couple of drives as well. 26 and a half this weekend over under. If he goes the full four quarters and it is, you know, within a possession or two late in the game, uh, I, I would take over just crazy to think about that. That's been the, the area of his game that's been most chastised by fans for so long. And now we, we see this, what we all hope amounts to being a coming out party for him, where he just goes and balls out against TCU on the road, the primetime stage and has the, again, the game of his life and just hoping that he can really parlay that into another good outing this coming Saturday against a secondary, as we said, has been very uh, willing to give up yards and points <laughs> in bunches. And, and another area that I'll mention there on that front as well, uh, Jason Taylor 
on the back end of that defense, a semifinalist for the Thorpe Award, had a couple of picks, including what was the game ceiling interception against Texas. Uh, came down a little awkwardly after making that second interception, and his status is in question. So, in looking at a lot of the other guys on that secondary, it's a lot of career program types where, oh, this guy has played again in 15 games, but this is his first year starting. This guy's played in. 20 games, but this is his first three starts this year, whatever the case might be. So you have, a, you do have guys that are still, again, veteran only in the sense that they've been with the program, but maybe necessarily haven't gotten all the game reps and the snaps. So that'll be interesting to see if that's something that Will Howard can exploit. And I'll ask about Deuce Vaughn and DJ Giddens. I'm not going to lie. I, I liked the splits that we saw in terms of the carries and the snaps last Saturday. Now I know Deuce went out at a, a pretty cri- critical juncture, but I, I like the way that Colin handled that by putting DJ in a lot more. You know, and I had kind of even alluded to it, you know, uh, going into the game, I said, I was pretty happy with what DJ, what DJ Giddens did with his workload in Ames. And I don't think he's done anything to detract that sentiment, uh, you know, w- with his, with his showing in Fort Worth, you know, if you need to continue to split the reps like that, no, I think DJ has done everything to earn that. And uh, I don't have any concern because frankly, it has not led to any kind of drop in production. So if they need to keep splitting it like that, by all means, do what you got to do. Deuce Vaughn on the field for 44 snaps of K-State's 53 total plays last Saturday. DJ on there for 13. A uh, couple of other notes that I'll mention on the offense. Uh, ben Sinnott did leave the game with what looked like, at least at my Again, untrained med- to my untrained medical eye, uh, I thought was just a stinger, but then he sits out for a bit and it maybe sounds a little bit more severe, but coaches have come out and said he will be a go this Saturday. So that's obviously big for Kansas State. We haven't seen as many contributions from Senate here in recent weeks in the passing game. He was obviously the, the, the catalyst really in, in, in that upset over Oklahoma and Norman way back when. But hoping he gets himself right. And and again, it was nice to see Sammy Wheeler also come through, had that big touchdown catch last week. So Will Howard, like I said, doing a good job distributing balls, tight ends, running backs. You know, we we saw Malik get in there. Phillip Brooks had a couple of big grabs as well. I don't want to just totally sound dismissive about the possibility of Martinez starting here, but I feel like I have to. I just don't feel like there's enough smoke for me to to think that he'll be good to go this week. I I mean, for all intents and purposes, it sounds like Martinez took himself out of the game, right? Was that ever actually confirmed or just speculated? I remember hearing that it was the decision of the training staff. Now, again, Martinez obviously has to tell them how he's feeling, what he feel he can and cannot do. So again, I think that's a, a mutual decision. That's again, just me not knowing all the odds and ends there, but I feel like that was both parties coming to an agreement. Sure. Now, I mean, you would never ask the, you know, grad transfer 60 or guy to willingly set himself out if he thinks he can go. But again, I think just given what we saw Howard do in the passing game, if Martinez is not 100%, I think this needs to be Howard's game. But I mean, it's, it's, frankly, I really do think it's probably a coin toss and we probably won't know until K-State's first offensive series. So I don't really know that I can weigh in one way or the other past that. 
certainly going to be an item to watch for Kansas State fans. And, and again, the, the peculiar thing is that that betting line has just not moved all week. And I think a, a lot of people are are bullish on the Cats for for whatever reason, still being the one and a half point favorite. And, and Oklahoma State and both K-State and Oklahoma State obviously beat up plenty of questions on, on both sides of the ball. Uh, one area that I, I do feel Oklahoma State, like I said, it's it's tough to peg down either side having a really decided edge in one uh, one area or another. One area that Oklahoma State does have a pretty noticeable advantage is in the kicking game. And I feel like we need to talk about Chris Tennant here for a minute. I, I will say Oklahoma State's Tanner Brown is 14 of 15 on the year, perfect on all 35 of his PATs. And then Tom Hutton, who I believe is like one or two years younger than we are. I think he's 32 uh, if memory serves, but he's doing a good job at punter, averaging over uh, 43 yards per punt with 16 down inside the 20. So he and Ty Zentner, as far as the battle of field position goes, are pretty level, but the kicking item is one that I think we need to discuss. And let's just high level. What are your thoughts on Tennant with where we are with him right now? I mean, until he, I'm not saying he can't ever get it figured out mentally, but until he does, I mean, I think you, I think Kleiman's probably taking the right approach here and giving other guys a chance. Now that said, what does giving other guys a chance mean? You know, like if K-State has a drive stall at the 22-yard line this week, who's trotting out there? Are they giving Zentner a shot at it? Are they giving this simmering kid a shot at it? Or are they going to let Tennant try to continue to work this out? Because, frankly, you know, I think I've been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt for a couple of weeks now, but the wheels officially came off Saturday night. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of a matter of, and not to answer a question with a question, but it really comes down to what did those what what can we glean from those remarks from Kleiman this week? You know, how open of a tryout is this really? It's a good question. And Zetner came in and kicked in the bowl game, and he did, he wasn't really ever put in any sort of high stress situation. Just kicked all the PATs, so. And I should qualify, uh, should clarify the bowl game, obviously last season against LSU, but I, I think this this lends itself, at least in my mind, to Kleiman being more aggressive, because I I, I hate saying it, but Tenet outside of forty, it, it's not a question of, of leg strength at all. It, it's just it's a matter of accuracy, and. I, I hate approaching the game this way, but I also think in the same breath, this this is going to be very much feast or famine where you might be confronted, like you said, okay, so we're looking at a 37-yard right now on, or on a fourth and five. If everybody else on the offense is healthy, does Kleiman say, let's, let's go, let's go, let's try and keep this drive going and get into the end zone? I know that doesn't send the best message necessarily to your kicker and to to Tenet or Zentner or whoever might be backing him up, but I, I think that might be the mentality this week. And frankly, though, I'll say this much. I, I don't hate that because looking at this game and knowing, like I said, that K-State's going to be short in the linebacking core, uh, I, I, I'm nervous about the first half, and I'm nervous about things getting away from this this team early on. I don't really have any beef with Kleiman and company being aggressive and, and going and just try and, and looking at this and saying, Hey, we, we need touchdowns to beat Oklahoma state. Cause we're not going to get it with field goals. And 
I know this Oklahoma State defense also is, is good on third down as well. So that's another element to take into consideration. And K-State's red zone offense has been has been good enough. Uh, they're cashing in on 88 and a half percent of their red zone trips. That's 33rd nationally. And we really haven't seen this group sustain drives. And again, I, I'm a little ner- nervous as well about how well Oklahoma State is at, at defending the run. It, it, it's just all boiling down to me. I, I'm seeing this game playing out being very, uh, I'll say, a, a shootout would not be out of the equation in my mind just because I think Oklahoma State's secondary, especially if it's going to be shorthanded down a Thorpe Award finalist or semifinalist, I think that's something that K-State can absolutely look to exploit. And on the flip side, I'm sure Spencer Sanders is looking at this linebacker core and, and thinking about just slicing and dicing this K-State defense up. And, and he's done it, too. That's the other thing. It's not like he hasn't done it. Spencer Sanders is 3-0 and against uh, the Wildcats in, in his time at Stillwater. What are your thoughts just in terms of how this game is, is going to play just points-wise? I, I feel like the total it might be going over the total this week that that's my initial read on it, but I, I didn't know how you were feeling about that number. You know, I, I kind of feel like I did going into Fort worth and that I think 30 is the magic number. If you can hold Oklahoma state under 30 points, I think you're going to have yourself in a position to win, but I think given the uncertainty on offense, you know, that's, that's probably going to be the cap. I think Oklahoma state is too well equipped to win shootouts. It's not something K-State's really primed to do. It's not something they're really built to do. So, I mean, I think the lower scoring you can keep this game as a whole, the better shot you're going to have to win it. If you are somebody who is interested, the total is right now, at least as I look on FanDuel, 55 and a half. So people in Vegas thinking that this game is uh, trending in that direction there. So given the, uh, so that's looking right at 28, uh, excuse me, 28 to 27. Uh, just based off of the point spread as well. So they're obviously thinking that this one's not going to reach into the thirties, but that, I, I don't know. I, I think I just, I, I'm worried about how that first half is going to go without Khalid Duke and, and seeing how quickly Purnell and whoever it might be, you know, Nick Allen, I, I think is pr- we can say pretty confidently he's going to be there in the middle, but who else on the other side is going to be equipped to slow down this Oklahoma state passing attack that's the big question in my mind so there's a lot of a lot of questions going into this game a lot of reason for excitement though uh and i'll say this uh, i can't recall a game here in recent memory that's really had stakes anywhere close to to this uh at least i should say home game for kansas state Uh, it's been a while since this team has been playing meaningful home tilts in late october and hopefully on into early november uh can you think of a game off the top of your head where the stakes have been as high as they are here? Cause I really do, do think the winner of this one likely is right behind TCU and the loser is probably out of the conference race just by virtue of the tiebreakers. Yeah. You know, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we started filming here that, you know, I don't know that you can say that the winner here is, I I would stop short of even saying that they're probably going to Arlington, but they have a pretty defined inside track to Arlington at that point, because at that point, everyone else has at least two conference losses. Like you said, the tiebreaker in a year where the conference is this wide open top to bottom. I mean, the the tiebreaker is absolutely paramount, right? Like it's, it's really, really important to snag this one. I mean, in terms of a game with this kind of stakes this late in the season, 
unless I'm just forgetting something obvious, I almost think you have to go back to 2012 when, when Colin Klein knocked off Texas to clinch the big 12 that year. You know, it, uh, it, it's, it's been a while since, like you said, K-State has played a, this meaningful of a conference game at home this late in the year. K-State-Auburn game in 2014 comes to mind. Uh, I know the Wildcats got behind the eight ball in 2016. They had a, a pretty solid team that year, but the, the early season loss to Stanford to open things up and then losing in West Virginia and Oklahoma pretty early on. The Wildcats didn't ever get ranked uh, the rest of the way, despite the fact that they were playing some pretty good games uh, that season, notably that game against Oklahoma State that year, uh, which we're not going to talk about because it's going to make us really pissed off. The maddest (laughs) I've ever been leaving that stadium, and it's not particularly close. This is big. This is big for Kansas State, and I think if the Wildcats can can manage to get this one, man, if if you bide your time, if Will Howard does get the start, as we're all assuming he will, if you're able to get this one and then Adrian is able to go against Texas uh, again, just what, what a whirlwind of change it would be if the, if, and again, this, this is in a way, I I know different circumstances just with the outcome, but the Tulane game, I know Nutter, when you and I talked about it, we just felt like so much was lost after that game that, well, if this team is only putting up 10 against Tulane, what the hell is it going to do the rest of the way? And, and then we we see it come out and roll up over 500 yards against Oklahoma and pull off an upset of a top 10 team in its own backyard the next week. And I feel like there's a lot of gloom and doom around the K-State fan base right now about this as well and, and people that were losing their minds on, on on social media and on message boards after this game, but it's still very much a a game in which if the Wildcats do get this done. And again, the home field advantage, I think will be paramount for K-State in this as well. The Wildcats find a way to get this W right back in it, right back in it. And again, you, you, you can just completely change the tenor of the season again, which would again, kind of fall in line with what, what we saw against Tulane where everybody was all down and out and ready to start selling their K-State stock. And then, you do the unthinkable. So I'll say this cat fans go there, be loud, make a difference because Oklahoma state really hasn't had to venture outside of Stillwater too much this season. They really haven't been tested very much on the road. This is easily going to be the toughest environment that they'll have to have faced to this point. And dare I say, it'll be the toughest environment they face all season. So, and they're coming off a pretty emotional win. I think that's probably worth noting as well. I know we said that last week and it didn't end up making a ton of difference, but Jeff, I just wanted to add one more thing, you know, talking about people might be looking this, you know, like there might be a little more gloom and doom now than there had been you know, since the Tulane game, Um, you know, we were looking at it after the Iowa State game and you looked at that next four game stretch K-State had at TCU, home against Oklahoma State, home against Texas and at Baylor. Even then we were saying, if you can go two and two in that four game stretch, you know, you're still looking at a pretty decent shot at the Big 12 championship game. We were never going to go four and oh through that stretch. I don't think any reasonable fan would actually think we were. So, I mean, by no means is anything lost here. You know, if you get this one, you are right back on track. And frankly, you're still in the driver's seat for a shot in Arlington. That's the beauty of this conference format is all you got to do is come up with one of those top two slots. So, I mean, yes, everything is still on the table here. And I think people, it's easy to lose sight of that after a frustrating loss, but I mean, mathematically, nothing has changed. K-State is still probably right where it wants to be going into the, going into the home stretch of this season. That being said, let's move into our picks to pop for this game against Oklahoma State. One guy on offense, one guy on defense. Netter, go ahead and 
lead us off. Yeah, I am. I know we've said it several times what we think is going to happen here. I'm going to roll the dice and say Will Howard gets the start and Will Howard is my guy here. Um, Again, that's not necessarily something I ever thought I would say coming into this season. (laughs) I am. I have been far from the president of the Will Howard fan club, but he really, truly impressed me with what he did last weekend, you know, coming in on as far as we know, absolutely no notice. So if he can do that again, and if he's comfortable in the pocket and he's confident making those passes and can get over those mental hurdles against the team that he has really struggled against, you know, you think back, we haven't really talked about it. That game in 2020 that K-State really had Oklahoma State on the ropes and a couple of really, really untimely turnovers by Howard kind of ended up being the nail in the coffin there. You know, this is a game where I think Howard could could silence a lot of doubters and really, you know, make the quarterback conversation next year that much more interesting if he can turn a corner here. So Howard's going to be my guy on offense. I think if K-State gets it done, he's going to have to be the guy to get him there. Yeah, as far as offense for me, I'm going to, again, I think Colin is going to take the, you know, just unload the book here and, and unload the clip on this Oklahoma State secondary and say, listen, you guys have, you've got some holes on this back end and we're going to try to take advantage of it. And and, and again, I I liked what I saw out of Will Howard in terms of how he distributed the ball against, uh, against TCU. And and I think he's going to be able to replicate that, that effort this coming Saturday. I'm going to look to a wide receiver and and Philip Brooks has been maybe one of the more underappreciated guys in recent memory um, for what he does, and, and he's been a, as reliable a weapon as any for this Kansas State uh, passing attack throughout the course of this season. He's had, uh, up until last week, he had seven catches against Oklahoma, five against Tech, four against Iowa State, and he only had, only got a couple of targets against TCU. So Phillip Brooks needs to be a guy who makes an impact, and I know Malik Knowles is going to be the obvious uh, answer for a lot of folks, and everybody always looks to him. You look to Ben Sennett and whatnot. I'm going to say Phillip Brooks pops off this coming Saturday. I think he's due for a big game for the Wildcats, and again, I think Colin's going to give Will the ball and ask him to put it up in the air a little bit more than we all might be expecting. So I'm looking forward to seeing what this aerial attack does against this Oklahoma State secondary. Defensively, I'm going to, again, as I've kind of touched on here, I'm very nervous about the first half without Khalid Duke in case that hasn't been uh, beaten into everybody's skull by this point. But <laughs> you, you, you're going to – I feel like this is a half where you just need to hang on. You, you, you cannot get overwhelmed. Again, Oklahoma State is going to score. That is what they do. Uh, take the good with the bad. There's going to be drives, and it's. I, I honestly think that the script, if you're Kansas State, is going to set up very much the same way that it did against TCU. You're going to force Oklahoma State into a fourth down and six on the Wildcat 43-yard line, and they're going to pull the trigger and try and go. Or you're going to be looking at a fourth down and two where they're going to roll the dice and say, we don't want to kick a field goal. We want to try and get a touchdown. Bow up in the key moments. Bide your time. Don't let Oklahoma State get over. If Oklahoma State gets over 20 on this group in the first half, I, I think unless Kansas State has rung up 20 more themselves, I think it's just going to be tough for this group to come back from. So hang tough in the first half. Linebackers, fit the run. Do what you need to do on that on that front. And this isn't a particularly good Oklahoma State offensive rushing attack. So contain the backs. Don't let Spencer Sanders get loose and just keep it all in front of you as best you can. That's my pick on defense. Again, that's probably going to fall mainly on Nick Allen. 
but I'm also going to be looking at Desmond Purnell on that front as well. So I'm looking at linebackers as a collective, but I'll say Nick Allen's going to be getting 80% of my pick to pop and then uh, Desmond Purnell getting the other 20. So who's your defensive guy? Before I answer that, I just want to ask, you know, I know you said, you know, it's really just kind of a matter of paying on in the first half. What point differential do you consider a successful first half? You know, if K-State goes in tied down this many, up this many, what do you consider a, a win in the first half? Oh, I think if you're within, if you're within six or seven, and and I would say six or seven, getting the ball to start the second half. Sure. Um, if if Oklahoma State does a backbreaker like what TCU did, where this game's tied at 13-13, and then they go on a drive, get a touchdown before half, and get ball to start second, then would have been different proposition there. So I, I say just keep this thing to within a touchdown. That's that's going to be satisfying for me. And, and again. K-State did that last week against a TCU offense in its own backyard, and maybe I'm just being more doom and gloom and being a little bit more cynical about Nick Allen. I just, I was nervous. I didn't really like what I saw out of the linebackers, and and then TCU really just wore on that unit, but maybe this unit bows up and holds and really clamps down Oklahoma State. But yeah, I'm saying keep them under 20 points in the first half and keep the margin to within a touchdown. Okay, fair enough. Um, for defense, I am going to go with Josh Hayes. You know, obviously that dude balled out in Ames, you know, had a, had a hell of a game, earned himself, the, you know, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week honors. Uh, by was by no means bad uh, against TCU. I think he had six tackles total and broke up a pass. Um, you know, for all the mentions, you, all the reasons you mentioned, you know, obviously we're pretty banged up in the linebacking room right now and we're going to be putting some less experienced guys out there. You know, you kind of – you're not going to, you're going to give up yards. Right. So I think that next line of defense is going to be that much more important. And that's a guy that we know can play up on the ball. You know, he can play back in coverage. So, I mean, a guy like that, kind of that Swiss army role, I think that's going to be a really, that, I mean, that could be, you know, a, a major difference maker in how this game goes. So we're going to need him to do what he's been doing. And we're going to need him to be all over the field. Good call. Good call. And, and Hayes uh, was one of those guys who did leave momentarily against TCU all indications are he will be good to go. Coaches have said as much during uh, media availability this week. So everything looks good for him. Everything looks good for Brent. So the back end, which again, I, I think every one of those guys, Brent's to echo, uh, props to echo, man, was out there for all 82 snaps last Saturday against TCU. Drake, Cheatham, Kobe Savage, Hayes, they've all been doing great. Sincere Mason was getting snaps. We saw Jacob Parrish get in. Like I, I Van Malone's group, really does a solid job and I, I I don't worry as much about them I, I I worry more so obviously again about those the intermediate routes and the, the angles not being negated that's my biggest concern is that Oklahoma State's really going to be able to make some hay on that front uh, early on so we'll see what's what there and with all that being said let's go ahead and get set to wrap this one up score prediction time Nutter I'll go ahead and let you take first honors here what's your yeah um you know I know I've said that if if Will Howard's the guy that this defense kind of plays into his strengths, but there is enough uncertainty and I'm worried about, like we talked about, you know, getting stuck in kind of no man's land, which is, you know, extended even further than it would be without any reliable kicking game right now. Um, I think the defense will probably slow up Oklahoma state enough to keep K-State in it, but I just, I worry about the offense's ability to do enough to capitalize on that. So I'm actually going to go with the same score prediction I went with last week. I think K-State loses 31, 27. I do have Oklahoma State down for 31 as well, and I 
I don't feel particularly good about this game, honestly, for no other reason, just because it's Mike Gundy and the, and Oklahoma state is really just ascended to a level as a program where, where these are the spots, like these are the type of games that they just really don't lose. They really always seem to find a way they were dead to right against Texas last week. They were down by 14 and they ended up coming back reeling off 17 in a row and, and beat UT and, Again, there, there's a lot of elements to weigh in this one, but it just seems like Gundy has always been good at, at getting his teams, even after a m- big emotional wins, to always settle down, settle in, play well, be it on the road or at home. And I, I believe he's currently 6-2 and two in his last eight Big 12 road games. So this Oklahoma State team is no stranger to success on the road, and, and they've been winning at a high clip, as I talked about in the outset, having won 20 of their last 23 I just, I, I don't feel good about K-State this coming Saturday, and I, I certainly hope that I'm proven wrong. I'm taking Oklahoma State 31 to 22 in this game. That's that's my thought there. I think, again, why K-State's favored, I, I, I do not know, but I'm certainly hoping that the people that are making the numbers know a lot more than we do and, and that their prediction comes to fruition. I know uh, Bill Conley at, at ESPN, the S&P Plus metric uh, founder there, he's got K-State uh, 28.32 to 28.30. So again, this is why we play the games, guys. I'm certainly hoping that the Wildcats can go and get a monkey off their back. This would be huge for Chris Kleiman, just knowing as well that these next three opponents, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Baylor, he's a combined 0-9 against those schools in his time as K-State's head coach. If K-State wants to get to the Big 12 championship game, you, you got to get that proverbial monkey off your back, and you got to start by doing it this Saturday. This would be huge to get this one, to have this tiebreaker over Oklahoma State. Like I said, you you don't effectively eliminate them, but you certainly put them very far behind the eight ball. And you also put yourself in a position as well with Texas on deck to have a, a, another big stage, big atmosphere, big type of environment game the next coming Saturday. So that's my thought there. Certainly hope that I'm wrong. Thanks again for listening to us, Cat fans. We greatly appreciate the download or the stream on whatever your preferred app is. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball if you haven't done so already. We thank you, as I said, for listening to us. With all that said, I'm going to go ahead and close this one out the way I always do. Cats, man, if you know, you know. Let's go get it done. Cats,